0: We've been, we've just started a series um, last week called "Love to Love." You heard Sarah talk about um, how we are integrating our messages on Sunday morning with our desire as a congregation that we wouldn't just—and we never desire this, right? So every time we come together, I'm always saying, "Hey, this isn't just something for you to listen to, but it's something for you to apply. It's for it, we're to live out the gospel. We're to live out the words of God. This this April season as." Easter is right in the middle of Easter. We said, well, you know what? In coordination with our series, uh, let's do some things in our community. Let's gather the church in a way to say, hey, let's be the hands and feet. Let's love. Let's love others as we've been loved. At the end, uh, towards the end of John 13, and we're actually going to look at the beginning of John 13 this morning, but at the end of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, that Passover meal before Jesus died on the cross, He says to His disciples, He says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are My disciples. I've always been intrigued by that statement. Your love for one another or the way that you love will be in stark contrast to the way the world loves. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit more in the story uh, at the beginning of John 13 in a second. But I, I was thinking as I started off this message, God, how, how do we see love in such a, a crazy way that when it is seen... People go, there is something different about that person. I've got to find out. How do they love in that way? I ran into a lady about, I don't even want to guess how many years older than me, but she's older than me. Uh, About 15 years ago at a prayer summit, we had uh, in in, the Boston area, maybe even 20 years ago now, or not 20, because I've been here 20, so 16, 17 years ago, early on in my time here in Boston. I gathered together with other pastors in the city in the area to pray, and I was intrigued by this woman because she was an interesting combination, a combination I really like. She was unbelievably bold in her prayers and in her passionate worship for the Lord, and she was incredibly vulnerable about her weakness. I found out things about her in the prayer summit that uh, I thought, wow, she's a really normal human being. A lot like me. Broken. Uh, Recovering. Uh, Pleading for God's grace. And yet at the same time when I was around her, I felt the presence of Jesus. I felt convicted i felt stirred i felt encouraged i felt loved and forgiven she had touched the hem of christ's garment because she had made herself available to be known by god and in her weakness god extended grace and mercy her story is that she found jesus she grew up in boston she found jesus From a broken life, and that life of love that she received from God transformed her in such a way that she wanted to love others. And so, the way that God stirred her, and how many of you know that when God's love touches our life, He stirs us to do things, and we don't all do the same things. So, when you hear this story, don't make this the pattern of, okay, this is how I'm going to have to love now. This is how God stirred love in her heart. But when God got a hold of her heart, and she said, God, how do I love? He said, I want you to love the people on the streets of Boston those that are homeless, and those who don't have anybody else that that loves them the way that I want to love them. And so she said, well, I don't know how to do that. And however God spoke to her, she decided to make sandwiches and just give sandwiches on the street. But she didn't just give sandwiches. She developed a relationship with the men and women on the street. They began to know her by name. She began to do it more often, and people came alongside of her, and a ministry was started. Um... In the city that was focused on just meeting the practical needs of people on the street, but also becoming their friends. She moved on from that place, and she, um, because of who she was meeting and, and the heart that God was putting in her, uh, the heart that God was giving her of compassion, she began to reach out to troubled teens, teenagers. And even though she was 10, 15 years older than them at the time, and maybe even older, I don't know what, at what point she started, she began to love these teenagers who were from broken pasts, who were in troubled situations, who probably had uh, already had a record with the law, who were in trouble. She began to love them the same way she loved the people on the street, and they began to respond to her, and get saved, and trust her. And she became a part of a ministry, started a local chapter of a ministry here to reach out to troubled teens. And then God continued to expand her heart of compassion, and he said, I want you to pastor a church. And she says, well, God, I I don't have, where do I do that? And he gave her a place to, to a city to to plant the church in, and she says, well, who am I going to minister to? And he said, well, you just keep on ministering to the same people you've been ministering to. Well, who are my leaders? Well, your leaders are the people you've been ministering to. And so her church was established, and her deacons And her leaders were people that lived on the street. They were troubled teens who had their lives restored. God said, I want the people that I wanted you to love to be the ones who lead my church. Because they understand what it means to be loved. And to be set free. When we talk about and by the way, she's one of my heroes. She's one of my favorite people in the world. Her name's Claire Sullivan. She she's in Lynn, uh, Massachusetts, and she's continued. She's got she's bought a whole building in in Lynn that not only ministers to troubled teens and people off the street, but she's got all kinds of different ways of ministries of compassion that she's she's doing because she's been loved, and so she knows that how to love. She knows how. to When Jesus said, I want you to love as I've loved you, He didn't say it out of the context of them understanding what love looked like. Because they had lived with Him. They had watched Him minister. They had seen Him extend grace. They had heard Him teach with compassion. They had seen that He didn't browbeat, but He lingered. He ate dinner with people. He was concerned. He was compassionate. And on the, on the eve of his ultimate act of love, he sits down with them for a meal. It's interesting when you read the Gospels, you need to read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to actually weave together a picture of what was going on there, because each author tells a little different part of the story. And John is the only one that introduces us to this narrative that happened at the meal in John 13, and I want you to read it with me. Look at verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father. He had loved His disciples during His ministry on earth, and now He loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return to God. So, knowing this, and that, that so is very important. We'll come back to that. He knew he had all authority. So, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, You won't belong to me. And Simon Peter then exclaimed, Well, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. and And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, that's because I, that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash mine. Since I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you ex- an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Wow. Jesus teaching his disciples through an act of service what it looks like to truly love and what he will demonstrate for them in greater measure in the day to come. Verse 1, he loved them to the very end. I love the way that John captures that in in his writing. And Jesus loved them to the very end. Love from God is fully, absolutely faithful to you and I. He does not come up short on His love. He does not come up short on His commitment. As we know um, from Scripture, this life that Jesus um, took on by emptying Himself, as Philippians talks about, from His heavenly form and coming to earth in the form of a baby and growing as a, as a man and living in this earth and being um, tested and tempted without sin and rejected and scorned and, and, and ridiculed and the whole lot. We know that from the beginning of time, God knew that He was going to do this. And Jesus and God, they fulfilled, He fulfilled His promise to the very end. He did not come up short. Persevering. Never giving up on us. Love to the end. He knew at this point when He was talking to His disciples that He was about to go to the cross. And He knew that He was going to do it. He was going to love to the very end. So if this is so, is He going to pursue you to the very end? Is He going to pursue you to the very end? Do we believe it? I have a friend of mine who I've known almost for 30 years now. And I have walked with her in the ups and downs of her life. And I can tell you that probably over the course of the last 30 years, she has come in and out of relationship with Jesus at least 10 or 15 times. Hot for God, then falling away. Passionate for the Lord, then failing and falling down and feeling shame and and not turning back to God. Coming back to God over and over again. What is our human response when we see someone like that with God? Honestly, what is your response? If you're honest, or at least the people I talk to, including the person in my own head, somewhere along the way we go, you know, that's about it. Come on. Come on, sister. I mean, how how long is it going to take for you to learn who God is and what your relationship with God is to be like? Don't judge me. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever thought that. But if we're honest, we have those things in our we have those thoughts in our mind. Why do we have those thoughts in our mind? Because we think about ourselves the same way. It's not that we are some incredibly judgmental person. Because on any given day, when we fail or we fall apart or we lose debt, lose hope or we walk in some unbelief and we wonder, God, are you really real? The thoughts that come in our mind are maybe. Maybe He has stopped pursuing me. Maybe I have burned out of all of the love that God could extend to me. That's what I love about verse 1. We could stop the message here. To the very end. When Jesus came on the scene, how long had He been living with human beings up to that point? A long time. I mean, I'm no mathematician, so I can't remember. But lots of thousands of years. He had seen a lot of human sin and rebellion and brokenness and unbelief along the way and he still came to this earth to die on a cross. He had plenty of reason to abort the mission. These people are stubborn wrecks. They're hopeless. They're fickle as the as the hymn said, they're prone to wander. We are Quit looking around and saying, that's right, I know that about all of you. <laughs> we is, I am prone to be that person. And Jesus said, or John said about Jesus, to the very end. So in your life, as you're reading this passage of Scripture, you're listening to the, to the living Jesus right now who is here with us. He is saying, I want you to know That whether you, as the psalmist said, whether you go across the sea to escape me, I will be there. I'm not leaving you. And I'm going to continue to pursue you in your fear, in your shame, in your brokenness, in your unbelief, in your hopelessness. All those places along the way, I want you to know I'm not giving up on you I am with you and for you to the very end. And if on your dying deathbed after a thousand rejections of me, if in your heart you say, God, I've messed up. You really are real. Guess who's going to be there? Me. Jesus speaking. Not me. (laughs) Not really wanting you there, Sean. I want Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be there to the very end. Okay. Amen. Let's just pray. That's good. No, good. This is good. Okay. Okay. I'm preaching to myself. Thank you, Jesus, for being there. Mm. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given Him authority over everything. Jesus knew that He was God. He knew that He was Savior. He knew the plan. He knew that He was going to rise from the grave. He knew that He was going to defeat sin and death. He knew that all authority in heaven and on earth, the Scripture says, has been given to Him. He knew that He would sit on the throne and that all authority would be under His feet. That He would rule and reign. That He is the great I Am. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He knew that He would return to judge the living and the dead. This is Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth. No authority that has ever lived or ever been conceived or written about more powerful than Jesus. He knew it. I want you to get that. Because I want you to to place this Jesus who is and was and is to come the ultimate authority of all mankind. At, At the one at at the end of time where every knee will bow. Before him and every tongue confess, Jesus, you really are Lord, whether they believe today or not. This Jesus knew his authority. And when you have absolute authority in a situation, it matters how you handle it and how you carry it. Now, what about the other authorities that we know of? Throughout history or today, that have a semblance of that kind of power. How do they wear their authority? We have an act, we have a maxim that says power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Where did we learn that? We learned that from history. We learn that when people have been given ultimate power, it is very hard, apart from God, for people to hold on to that power lightly. To, to flip it. To turn it in such a way that it produces an opportunity to not rule and to control, but to release and serve. And that's what Jesus did. It's unbelievable. So he got up from the table, verse 5, 4. Took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So, because of this knowledge, this position of authority, he chose to do this symbolic act to show them. And it wasn't symbolic because it really happened. But it, it was it was symbolic and it really happened. And I'll explain that in a second. What his leadership was all about. See, in those days, you know, people walked around in sandals and their feet were dirty. And it was very, very much the custom that when you walked into a house, that the servant, if the house had servants, the servant would greet you and the first thing that the servant would do would be clean your feet. To wash your feet. So if you were a guest, you were invited in by the, the, the house owner or the home, and this servant would bow down, take off your sandals, and clean your feet, because your feet were dirty. Especially before a meal. Because a meal was not like what we understand a meal to be. We don't. They didn't sit down at a table and put their feet under a table and nobody see their feet. Or leave their shoes on. Their sandals were off. The table was not this high. The table was probably this high. And they would recline on pillows. They would sit down, sorry if you can't see me back there, but they would sit down and depending on how many there were, the more there there were in accordance with the size of the table, the closer they were together. We know that we have 13 people at this meal. It's a pretty big table or maybe a pretty crowded room. And they're lying down with their head on the pillow and their feet where are their feet Maybe behind them, but maybe up behind each other, and they're down here, and here I am, Peter, and there's John's feet. Well, John didn't wash his feet. And we know that probably the reason that the the, the servant didn't wash the feet is we, we know that they found a room for this supper, right? They went and found a room to have this meal together. And so the next custom, if there's not a servant, is the first people that arrive to the room are the ones who serve everybody else's feet. Well, guess what? We're sitting here at the meal and nobody has washed feet yet. The disciples came in, but nobody took it upon themselves to be the one who was the servant this day. So as Jesus is sitting around looking at the situation, He thinks, you know what? This is perfect. I got a bunch of dirty feet, and I got a bunch of dirty hearts, and I'm going to show them what it looks like in my kingdom. For him to to take off his uh, outer garment and wrap wrap it around him like a towel, that would be very, very uncommon for the leader of a meeting. For the host to do. He did it. And he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. Two things happened in that moment that he wanted his disciples to know about. And he explains in his text. The first is that as he washed their feet, he was communicating to them that as their Savior and Lord, he was going to wash them. He was foreshadowing what was about to happen on the cross. He was declaring over them that as His disciples, as ones who had put their faith in Him, He was going to wash them once and for all, white as snow. Clean from the inside out. He didn't have to wash their whole body. It wasn't about a, a, a a, a ritual cleansing. This was about an eternal cleansing. A restoration that would happen once for all who would receive Jesus on the cross. Look at it again. When Jesus came to Peter, he said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand. Um, Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And then Peter said, no, you will never ever wash my feet. What's he saying? He's saying, Jesus, you must never stoop down from your place of honor and deal with the mess on my feet. That's an inverted role. I should be washing your feet I should be cleaning your feet, Jesus. You should never be cleaning my feet because I'm your servant. You are Lord. You are a teacher. And in our lives, it's not only that, but it's the question of God, am I going to allow you to get in? As We know this symbolically as God's not just washing some dirty feet, but He's saying, I want to wash you clean from the inside do we say, God, you can't do that. Not there. You can't come into that part of my life. I, I, I love these messages about love and acceptance, but God, I don't want you in this corner of my life. I don't want you to deal with this part of me where I experience pain or where I experience shame. Or where I experience uh, this unbelievable inability to overcome something that I want to overcome. God, I can't let you to that place in my life. I need to deal with that myself. That's the right thing to do. I need to wash my own feet. God, don't humiliate me by washing my feet. It's humiliating. Isn't it? Wouldn't it have been humiliating for the disciples when they realized, oh no. Jesus is gonna wash our feet. Which one of you forgot to wash our feet? Or, oh man, I should be doing this. And now he's doing it. It's humiliating. God, you caught please don't catch me. Because we think that when we get caught by God, that he's going to reprimand us, he's gonna scold us, he's gonna rebuke us. But what Jesus wants to do is catch us. He does want to catch us. We prayed this morning, and the, the the picture that we have is had was that God does want to pull the cork out of the bottle. He wants to uncork us, not to bring shame, but to bring freedom, to bring release, to bring forgiveness. I had the picture to bring comfort. God, you don't understand. I don't want you to see the mess. It's in my. Let me hold you. No! No! <laughs> Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there. I remember at my wedding day, and I didn't share, I didn't let Laura know I was going to share this, so would you? Just let me share after the service that I share this. It's about me. I remember at my wedding day with the men that were standing with me. Actually, it was the night before. It was the groom's party or whatever. And we're worshiping and we're praying. And then I'm struck with the, the thought and then the confession that I said to the room. I said, I'm extremely fearful that I'm going to be unfaithful to my wife. See, my father had been unfaithful to my mom. And I had struggled with sexual brokenness and addiction. And I was on the eve of my wedding night. And I'm looking at my groomsmen and I'm like, guys, I'm afraid that I am not going to make it as a husband. And my brokenness caught up with me. And I started weeping. And the next thing I know, you know, it's like puddles. And I've got three guys holding me. I mean, talking about the the antithesis of a groom's party, you know. It was like a camera in the room. They're like, this is weird. You know, I've got the groom is bawling. The guys are hugging me. There's other people crying, you know. But what was happening? Jesus was washing my feet. He was saying, you know what, Sean? You are afraid. And by yourself, you're going to blow it. And you are going to make lots of mistakes. And you're going to be on the precipice at times of wondering what you've gotten yourself into. But I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to see you through it. And I'm going to take your brokenness and I'm going to heal it. And I'm going to make you strong. And I'm going to give you something that you didn't know you had. I'm going, to, I'm going to be your perseverance. I'm going to be your faithfulness. I'm going to be what you need in those times where you feel weak or alone. But you got to let me wash you. you got to let me cleanse you. you got to let me in and let me take control of those places of your life. Jesus was saying to his disciples, you got to let me have your life. But if you, if you let me have your life, if you want to belong to me, I'm going to wash you clean. Whiter than snow. Never shamed. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And He eliminated the power of that sin in our life. He died, and He didn't just stay dead, but He rose from the grave, and the power was broken off of, of sin and death. No longer does sin have power over us. No longer does death hold us into the grave. But we are reborn. Renewed. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to fail at times, because we're still in this life being sanctified and being made like Jesus. We're still struggling with this thing, but Jesus is now with us. And what we know, though, is true is that because we've accepted Jesus into our life, when God looks at us, He looks at Jesus in us. And He does not see us as our sins deserve to be seen but He sees us through the lens of Christ Jesus' work for us on the cross in that love, in that grace, in that washing of our feet, in that cleansing of our lives, and He sees us as white as snow. Are you white? Are you white this morning? Are you clean? Well, I don't feel clean, Pastor. I just sinned yesterday. As a matter of fact, I just thought something really bad about somebody near me right now. I'm caught. But you know what? If you know Jesus... You're clean. He sees you as white as snow. He wants to set you free of your patterns that destroy you. He wants to sanctify you and make you whole. But you are clean and accepted and loved by God. I can't receive from you, but yes, I can because you are Jesus And he's come to wash us completely clean from the inside out. Sometimes he not only comes to us in that way, but sometimes he comes to us through other people, doesn't he? Sometimes he comes through other people to extend his mercy and his righteousness and his grace. Sometimes other people wash our feet and we see Jesus. Can I tell you another humiliating story? Just thought I'd humiliate myself in front of you so that you could feel the grace of God. a couple uh, last year a year and a half ago my wife has been battling and in some some effects I think our whole family has been battling some sickness and related we think in relation to mold and we're still trying to figure out what that looks like we've had our house evaluated etc we're thinking about it from all different angles and God has been gracious to us but one of the things, that he encouraged us to do through a mold expert was to clean our house, which meant get, a, get rid of every, uh, every surface, cloth or whatever that might be mold contaminated, which meant getting rid of some furniture, getting rid of all of our sheets, just kind of going through the whole house and cleaning our books and just getting the whole house clean. Well, for those of you who know us, we are, you know, if there are clean people, and there are dirty people, we might be leaning more this direction than this direction. That's as far as I'm going to go. We might be leaning this direction. And so, guess what happened? We are like totally overwhelmed with life, and, and life and our faith group now called our life group, because we are no longer the River Church, but Antioch-Waltham or Antioch Community Church. You know, we're changing everything, so I have to always remind us. Our life group said, hey, you know what? We want to come and serve you. We want to clean your house. Yeah! No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Man, that'd be a great and terrible thing. And guess what won out? Terrible wonderful I came in one day and there were five women in my house and they were going through stuff they shouldn't have been going through but I had no choice there were boxes my underwear was everywhere I mean it was crazy in the house no shame not appropriate I was humiliated but I felt loved we felt served we felt washed We felt known, even in our brokenness and our weakness, this is who we are. Our family, our our life group said, you know what? We're going to jump into this boat with you and we're going to wash your feet. We wept. We were filled with thanks because we were loved. Jesus said, so follow with me and then we're going to transition here into a time of communion. The second thing He was doing is that He was showing them a way in which His love and His kingdom would work. A sacrificial, servant-hearted humility. That as leaders and as people of God, we would not take the place at the, the highest seat at the table. But when we entered a room, we would take the lowest seat and serve. And then if we were honored, praise God, but if we weren't honored or lifted up, who cares? Because Jesus lifts us up and He honors us. And our intent would be to get under and empower other people to be the best that they could be, to know God. And so he said, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Remember when I used the example of political leaders earlier, and you probably filled your mind with all the historically power-hungry leaders that have used their authority in a wrong way. You might not have stopped along history's path and remembered this person of whom I think wore his authority well. He was a president of the United States, and I actually first met him. That's right, I met him. I actually first met him when I was a seventh grader, and I was a part of a youth choir that was touring the South. And our bus, because our, our leader liked to surprise us with things like this, our bus. ...pulled through this small town in this southern state... ...in the middle of nowhere... ...up in front of this unassuming house... ...today's standards, a very modest, moderate house... ...and even in those days... ...in the middle of this podung town... ...in the middle of this southern state. I'm trying to be as anonymous as possible... ...so you don't beat me to the punch. We stand out on the front lawn of his house... ...no high gates... No secret service men swarming the, ca- swarming the compound. Just a couple that were at the front door. They open up the door. This man walks out. He walks down, and he shakes every single one of our hands. There was 70 or 80 of us. I had the guy next to me. This is the days of the, the disposable cameras, the first ones. I said, take a picture of me when he shakes my hand. I, I later developed the film. He took a picture of me shaking his hand. He took a picture of our two hands. <laughs> To this day, I have to tell people, I promise you that that is who that person is. This person, if you haven't already guessed, his name was Jimmy Carter. His name is Jimmy Carter. Uh, His name is Jimmy Carter. And what did Jimmy do when he, he exited the White House? He went back to Plains, Georgia. He went back to his regular old house. And the first thing that he did was start to volunteer his time with Habitat for Humanity and build houses for people who had no homes. The President of the United States of America stooped down to wash people's feet. I believe, and he would say, because he had seen it in his leader. Jesus, who had modeled it for him. Who have you seen that's modeled the love of God for you in that way? And I have lots of little stories here I've written down to, to, to share with you, but I'm not going to. But as you as you think in your mind's eye, have you seen, have you experienced God's love in the way that I've experienced his love? Through others? who have washed and served me and loved me in my place of brokenness, in my place of need. Have you been loved the same? Have you loved the same? And God would say, this is how I want you to live. You ought to wash each other's feet. As that band comes up, come on up and let's enter into a time of response. So Jesus came to cleanse us he never stops offering us cleansing. He knows that we have need. And He wants to meet our needs. You know, during this time of foot washing, we know that it was the last meal. And we've already talked about this. In Matthew, Matthew describes the meal in this way. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then He broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is My body. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. He had washed their feet. He had proclaimed that he would wash and make them clean. And then he reveals the power of that symbolism in this meal because He takes the Passover meal, this meal that had been celebrated for hundreds of years as a declaration of God's deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. Delivering His people from the the powerful Pharaoh and the, the threats that were placed upon them and giving them opportunity to enter the promised land. To enter into the blessing that he had promised Abraham and their forefathers. This meal that they had eaten to declare that God had protected them from not only Pharaoh, but the angel of death, and had given them access through the Red Sea in into His promises. And then Jesus said, this, this meal really represents who I am. I am your deliverer. I am the bread. I am the wine. And what's interesting is that usually at this Passover meal there is meat, but there was no meat communicated in this meal. I believe because Jesus was saying I am the lamb. I am the lamb. I am your sustenance and life. I am your forgiveness. I am your deliverance. I am your wholeness. I am your redemption. I am your salvation. Have you been washed by Jesus this morning? Or have you been washed by Jesus? Have you allowed him to wash your feet? In order to have your feet washed, you need to be able to admit that you need your feet washed. In order to have your life wash, You need to be able to admit that you need Jesus. And then receive what He has for you. So as we come to the table this morning, we're going to allow you to come as you want. Here's the invitation. <clears throat> Taking the cup and the bread, you're going to eat and you're going to drink and you're going to remember what Christ has done for you. And I want you to ask the question. Or I want you to offer up your need. God, God, Would you cleanse me today? So, for some of us, it might be the very first time. Maybe this is the first time you have ever taken communion. You're invited. If you put your trust in Jesus and you want Jesus to cleanse you, please come up and let this be your first act of surrender and worship of God. For many of us, we've already been cleansed, we've already been washed eternally. But you might need God to touch your life in a specific way. There might be something that you're holding on to that you need to offer up to God. You need to open up your life to that part and say, God, would you come in and minister to me in this place of healing? Lastly, it might be that God is saying, I want you to open up your life to washing other people's feet. It might be that God wants you to look out to someone else's interest. You might want to write it on that card that Sarah was talking about. God, I want... I feel like you're saying, I'm to serve or love this person. It might be that person's in the room. It might be that you want to take communion with them. It might be that you just want to take communion with somebody else to honor and love them. So whatever is your position, could you pray with me and allow God to begin to minister to you as you respond? Jesus, thank you taking off your outer garment and wrapping it around your waist and serving your disciples and washing their feet to show us what you're really like. Thank you that you are safe, that you're compassionate, and that you pursue us to the very end. Thank you, God, that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, that you forgive and you restore. And thank you, Jesus, that you live in us as your believers. And you want to love others the same. You give us the power to love the way that you love. Would you do something miraculous today in people's lives? Would you meet with us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you feel led, there's, tape, there's stations here, here, and in the middle. Come and take communion. And also respond to the Lord if there's any need that you have that you would like him to meet minister to. We'll have some leaders they are just against the wall or around the, around the church that'll pray with you if you need time at prayer. Let's respond to the Lord right now. Well, we hadn't planned to sing this song this morning, but I'd, I felt led by uh, uh, Pastor Sean's message. and I thought this would be uh, a song that would speak to our hearts.